0: My name is Joe, and uh, it's great to be here. And one of the leaders here at New Community Church, and loving being uh, part of Welling. We we launched only just in May. It'll be two years, which is hard to believe. But um, and uh, so we just—it's great to be a part of one church, New Community Church. We're going to be having baptisms across the venues. We haven't yet got one sorted for here, uh, so be praying uh be if it's maybe you that needs to get baptized come and speak to us i'd love to talk to you more about that and uh, we can get you dunked and we'll have to find out find a way of getting some water into that thing underneath there it's going to be complicated because we've got the screen there as well so i don't know how we're going to make it work but we will make it work we've done it before so we'll do it again um today we are continuing our series in the psalms teach us to pray and uh, we've been going through these the last few weeks. We're going to be in Psalm 126 today, uh, so please turn there uh, if you have your Bibles, and hopefully it will come up on the screen as well in a few moments. Once you've turned there, you will see that uh, there's a subheading uh, just bef- just before the verses kick in. There's a, there's a heading that says "Song of Ascents." Song of Ascents. And uh, just to give you a little bit of a, a background into into what that is. Uh, the Song of Ascents was uh, the name giving, given uh, for a collection of 15 songs, 15 psalms. Uh, there's a bit of debate over which psalms they are, but um, the commentary I read was Psalms 120 to 134. You can think of it like a bit of a mini hymn book, if you like. And um, these 15 songs were the songs sung by the Hebrew pilgrims as they, on, on their travels ascending towards Jerusalem. And they were heading towards Jerusalem three times a year for their annual uh, festivals. And so as they kind of climbed up the steps to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. And it provided a way for the pilgrims to to kind of remember that they are God's people. They are God's people. And uh, they would look back. Part of their songs would be looking back to where they've come from. Part of these songs would be looking forward to where they're going. Looking back to what God had done and looking forward to what God is yet to do. And the songs kind of act as a metaphor, if you like, for this this pilgrim life of being a life lived upwards towards God. It's a it's a life increasingly step by step depending upon God. And so that's kind of what we're going to be focusing in on today. And see this this picture of the Hebrew pilgrim really helps us to see what the life of a disciple should look like. A life like for us as followers of Christ, what it should look like, journeying towards God, increasing dependency, step by step by step, growing in maturity in him. And we too need to be people that remind ourselves of what God has done, because we're forgetful people, and remind ourselves of where we're going, because actually that is our destiny, that is where we are heading. But it's also important to know how can we in this life right now, the in-between, if you like, Learn to depend on God more, and so we're going to look at that in this psalm in just a few moments. See, the reality is life uh, isn't always about breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. Actually, it consists of a lot of waiting, doesn't it? This wasn't a loads of waiting, but but uh, two days ago, my my sister gave birth, and um, getting close am I? Two days ago, my sister gave birth, and we kind of heard the news like. Um, we're gone into labour, and then I'm like, okay, so a few hours later, still not heard anything. A few hours later, a few hours later, a few hours later. Like, we not heard anything. We then hear that she's got to go in for a C-section, and we're like, okay, so that's gonna happen. Surely that's quite quick, right? We should find out quite soon. And we waited and waited and waited, and it just went on and on and on. And then eventually, eventually, we found out that she'd had a little girl and uh, with ginger hair, which is weird, part of my family with ginger hair, but here we go. Um so we waited, and then the breakthrough came. And life can be feel a little bit like that. It's not kind of, yes, victory after victory, breakthrough after breakthrough. Actually, it consists of a lot of waiting, waiting, and then God brings breakthrough. So we're going to look at that as well. There's some of that theme that comes through this psalm in just a moment. Let's get to the psalm, 126. It says this, when the Lord... Restored the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home With shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The first verse, they're looking back, they're reminding themselves of what God has done when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Other translations read, When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, or the captives to Zion. See this this song. Remember the, 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 the Hebrews are kind of on their travels, traveling towards Jerusalem. This song is looking back to what God has done in their past, the breakthrough he has brought. And they're most likely talking about their return from exile. Their return from exile. See, a, a significant moment in Israelite history was the exile and the return from exile. See, the exile was when the... the the, the, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people were, were forced to leave their homes to live in a foreign land under foreign rule. They left their places. Imagine this for a moment. They're, they're at home. Imagine your home. They're places of stability, security, protection, provision. They had to leave their homes to, to live in a foreign land under foreign rule. They, they left their places of safety and went to places of uncertainty, of oppression, of instability, not really knowing when or if they'd ever get home again. And after spending decades in exile as slaves under foreign rule, they were finally set free to return home. This incredible moment, this incredible moment they'd been waiting for that had finally come, and and they would have known it was coming because they knew the prophecies, they knew what Jeremiah spoke of in Jeremiah 29.14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations. And all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Or another prophecy from from Amos 9, 14, it says, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant the vineyards and drink their wine. And they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. So years of of waiting, came. breakthrough came in this moment. God brings the breakthrough that they desired. They They knew God had promised. They knew God had promised this day would come. And yet when it actually came, if you see in Psalm 126, it says... And it was as if those, they were like those who dream. It was like, wow. It was like a moment of disbelief. Are you, are you sure this, is, this really happened? They could hardly believe it. It was an amazing, emotionally overwhelming, emotional, overwhelming experience. What they'd always hoped for had actually come true. And See, their, their initial feelings of, of, of dreaming... We see in verses 2 and 3, they soon turn to uh, an expression of joy. Remember, they're looking back and they're reminding ourselves of what God has done. And then our mouth was filled with laughter, verse 2, and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. There's like an expression of joy and gladness that just wells up as they're reminded of what God has done, setting them free from exile. See, I can just imagine a bit like Welling, this, this community of celebration, of, of life, of joy, of expression, probably on another even level. And they're just full of laughter and shouts of joy as they're celebrating what God has done. I'm sure there was parties and, and a lot of fun as they celebrated. God had made a way for them to return home. See, the Lord had restored the fortunes of Zion. It, it resulted in this overflow of joy. And, and this joy, what started in the mouths of the Hebrews, ended up around the nations of the world being spoke of. It was like came from a Hebrew community into the nations of the world, an expression of the joy of what God has done. They said it among the nations. This Lord has done great things for them. It was like this, 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 increasing kind of uh, resounding of the prosperity of God's people reaching far and wide resounding in this kind of international crescendo of praise to the Lord but this song of of God's restoring work speaks of a bigger picture a bigger story of God's restoring plan see just right back in Genesis we see the, the, the that moment where God is in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and their home the mankind is home with God that home with God and then we know the story we know how it goes they they re- disobeyed God they rejected God and, and God banished them from the garden it was as if they were sent into exile they were sent away from home but we know God's in his grace and his mercy From that day forth, set about a restoring plan, a a plan to bring them back home, to bring his people back home and skip it a whole load of time. Ultimately, we're seeing in Jesus Christ coming and opening the way home for those who are in exile, those who are separated from God. Jesus opened the way back home. See, Ephesians 2, 12 to 18, puts it like this. You're at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, why? Because of Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who are near. For through him we both, you and I, both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. See, this was God's restoring plan to bring his people back home. To set them to be members of the household of God. Home. A great multitude of one day, every people, every tribe, every tongue, every language bringing this overflow. We see in this few verses, it's a picture of it, an overflow of joy and expression of worldwide praise to the Father, the, the nations of the world. We, we see it, a glimpse, even here in Welling, we see a glimpse of the nations giving praise together to the glory of God. And yet one day we'll see it in all its fullness. That's where we're heading. See, Jesus' desire was for the glory of the Father and the prosperity of God's people. And that should be our desire too. See, these, these verses, we see this joy that comes when, when God's people are prospering. Uh, I'm not talking about a, a prosperity gospel, just to set that clear. It's not like, uh, that's not the kind of thing that I'm talking about here. I'm just talking about the people of God thriving and, and full of joy and expression to God prospering as God's people these verses remind us that this is what the community of God should be like there should be an expression of joy we've just sang and celebrated together there should be this expression of what of joy that comes it's not a requirement but it's a consequence of what God has done it's a consequence it doesn't mean we have to be all happy and singing and woo all the time but the consequences of when we remind ourselves of what God has done in our lives is joy is an expression of joy and it should be a delight in our hearts to see the people of God prospering and I say that for us in Welling but but thank God we're not the only church in Welling thank God we're not the only people of God in Welling because actually there's not only us in Welling but there's a, the, the children of God the people of God all across London all across this nation all across the world that we get to be a part of to see, play each play our small part. In God's purposes, all prospering as God's people. Let's just get back to this psalm for a moment, because <clears throat> it kind of seems to take a quick change, a quick change of tone, if you like, a quick change of tune. A bit like when I sing, I kind of change tune, tune and key every moment. Uh, sorry about that. Um, just don't follow my lead um, when it comes to singing. Um, but this song seems to take, take a quick change of, of key, of tune. It says, we're kind of once celebrating what God has done, restoring, you've restored our fortunes. And then they say, restore our fortunes, O Lord. It's like, what? I'm pretty sure you've just done that. <laughs> pretty sure that you've just been saying that God's restored your fortunes. What, so what's, what's going on here? Why, why does it take this kind of, this quick change? What well, seems to turn from thanksgiving seems to change to kind of this intercession, this prayer of, of intercession. What we need to understand is that, that the pilgrims are, are no longer looking back. They're no longer kind of reminding themselves of what God has done. They're, they're looking at their current reality. And yes, yes, it doesn't take away from what God has done. Breakthrough, restoration, being set free from captivity. But they've returned from exile. And surprise, surprise, home is still hard. (laughs) Home is still hard. We know that. We know that. We know that we look back and see what God's done in our life, but the reality right now is life can sometimes be hard. There's still the mundaneness of life. There's still the challenges of life. There's still the, the ongoing breakthrough that we need to see in our lives. See, life doesn't suddenly become all of, all kind of rainbows and sunshines and everything all lovely and doubly. <laughs> you could even argue that they were actually still in exile. You could argue that exile, in fact, was in them because they were still living this life which is a life of instability, uncertainty, and unknown. See, they're still kind of disappointed with the fulfillment of, of what they'd seen from God's purposes and plans, that they've, God's promises, they're, the land that they'd gone back to, these people of God, the land that they'd gone back to was, was fallow. It was dry, it was empty, it was bare, it was unsown. There was some hard work and some breakthrough yet to be seen. There was little sign of this fruitfulness that God had promised. See, their reality was, yes, they'd seen some restoration, but it was partial. It wasn't full. They don't. They're not yet fully restored. So yes, they were home, but they had a longing for something more. They had a longing for a better home. I don't mean just of the physical sense. I know for many of us, we long for a a physical better home. We're always doing the decorating, or we're doing this, or we're doing this. But there's a longing for a better home. A home with God. See, whatever restoration... We see in this life, on this earth. It's always going to be partial. It's never going to be full on this earth. We celebrate what God's done, rightly so. But breakthrough is always going to be followed by harder days. Breakthrough is always followed by waiting. I don't know about you, but I find waiting really hard. I'm like, come on. (laughs) Yes, I need the fruit of the spirit of patience. Yes. Um, But waiting is hard. It's important to see here, though, that the, 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 the Hebrew pilgrims, they don't, they're not just looking back and getting all nostalgic. Because there's a danger. There's a danger that we look back and think, ah, the good old days. The good old days. Without kids. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> the, yeah. the good old days. See, they're not, they're not stuck looking back at the good old days. And they're not equally... They're not equally denying what, what God has done. Uh, they're not equally denying the, the, the reality that they live in now, actually. They don't put on this pretense or this front. No, they're, they're saying, this is, this is where it's at. God, would you do it again? <laughs> would you restore us again? See, their, their memories of what God has done before actually gives them hope to believe that he can do it again right now in their lives. It's like, yes, you've done that, and now I believe you can do it again. I really actually uh, I like the message version of verse 4. It simply says, and now God, do it again. It's like, God, you've done this, and now God, do it again. See, their prayer is, God, you've restored before, and now God, do it again. This life will only see partial restoration, but we can pray. And now, God, do it again. What a way. I believe this is a great way to pray according to the will of God. Seeing what he's done before and asking him to do it again. Reminding him what you've done before. And come and do it again. And in this second part, in verse 4, you can read here, it says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And just to give you a bit of context, the Negev is a desert region in southern Israel. And the word translated here as streams, in Arabic is wadi. If I pronounce that right, a wadi is a riverbed which is dry most of the year, and you can see the water kind of has flowed in it before. You can see that there's been water in it, but it's all within like a few days it will dry up. But there's certain seasons where the rain will come; it will downpour. Some of you might have been to climates like this a sudden downpour and it's literally drenched everywhere and these streams uh, these dry riverbeds turn into streams and they kind of take everything in there in their um, in their way with them they turn into these sudden streams that are fierce fierce torrents and these people these Hebrew pilgrims they they're asking god would you restore us see we're we're dry <laughs> we're like these dry riverbeds Lord, would you restore us like the streams of Negev? Would you pour your spirit out again? Would you pour out yourself upon us that, that, that we would be a people that would see breakthrough, that there would be a downpour of your presence upon us that would cause us to live out in your purposes and plans? They're a thirsty people. That's what I, I love about it. They're not just looking back and thinking, oh, you did this, God. Oh, why not now? No, no, know they're thirsty for God's breakthrough again. And you know, I know because Jesus says it himself that God loves it when we are thirsty people. He loves it when we're willing to cry out for him for breakthrough. See, John 7, 37, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed him were to receive. See, in the new covenant, since Jesus has come, the promise of the Holy and the promise of the Holy Spirit, we find the answer to our dryness. And the only conditions Jesus has here are: are you thirsty? Do you believe? If you put your faith, your trust in Christ, do you have faith that He wants to work in your life? And come, come to Jesus and ask. See, some of us, even in this room. We see it a lot in our families, wider into our communities. We see dryness. We see, in a sense, deadness. But some of us right now, even this room, we're, we're like dry riverbeds. We, we need God's breakthrough again. We've seen what God's done. We've re, we're reminded, yes, as we sang earlier, we're reminded of what God's done. But, but the reality is we need God's breakthrough again in our lives right now. And the answer isn't to try and be a better person or try harder. It's not to try and do this or not to do that. That's where I often go. I think, oh, I need to stop doing that. I need to start doing that. Kind of overcomplicate things a little bit. No, no, no. The answer is to go to Jesus, to get filled with his spirit. But I also, too, believe that actually even around us in Welling, there's dry riverbeds. There's dry riverbeds. It even kind of came through in our worship time a little bit. There's people's lives all around us that I believe God wants to come and and pour his spirit out upon. Be transformed by the gospel. God reviving, welling, and beyond. And when will this happen? This will happen when people like you and I turn to God and say, restore. Would you restore? And now God, would you do it again? Now, God, would you do it again? Just uh, before, I believe before Welling actually launched, Chris prophesied uh, that we would see rivers flowing in old riverbeds, saints who've gone before and prayed for something to come in Welling, and we would walk into that. I want to get hold of that and believe it. I want to believe that the dry riverbeds that we see right now, God's going to come and pour out, not just on New Community, but on all our other churches, that they would all be filled up and thriving, and prospering, and that we would have joy expressed, like we see in this psalm. See, right now, we might not see, with our eyes, lots of things going on. We might not see loads of transformation that we desire, but we mustn't stop crying out to God. We mustn't stop praying, God, would you restore and see, when we see that little trickle, when we see that, that ones and twos, when we see people's lives being restored again, we want to pray again. Now, God, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Those that were here last week, we just saw that video of Sam. And uh, Sam actually lives in Welling. I believe he's an answer to, to some of our prayers before Welling even launched. We can say, you saved Sam, God. Now do it again. You do it again. It's like you've provided, God, you've provided financial breakthrough and, and houses. And now, God, would you do it again? It's Like you've, you've used people, even in this room, even just last week, James, to, to heal others. And now, God, do it again. It's like you've brought healing and restoration to marriages. Now, God, do it again. You've brought revival to this nation in the past. <laughs> and now, God, do it again. Let's make that our regular prayer. Now, God, do it again. Yes, yes, we'll only see partial restoration in this life. But God has promised that he's filling the earth with his glory. He's filling the earth with his glory. And so we need to get in line with that. We need to expect gospel transformation. Sometimes we go about probably with our heads down a little bit and not expecting God to move. Let's get our heads up and let's pray, reminding him of what he's done in the past but remind, and asking him, would you come and do it again? And this song of Psalm 126, kind of nearing its end uh, in verses 5 and 6, this short prayer kind of uh, changes to, to looking forward to what is to come. Verse 5 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. See, these pilgrims uh, now turn from this prayer to receive an assurance and joyful expectation that their prayers will be answered, that they will reap a harvest with shouts of joy, they will come home bearing sheaves. for the pilgrims, their, their whole livelihood, their whole survival, if you like, is is, is wrapped up in sowing. Uh, it's wrapped up in sowing seed. Their fortunes, what what they have in their hands has to be put into this soil and they have to trust God for the outcome. It, it's their livelihood. It's the way they survive. It, it's, they trust for a harvest. They trust for a crop. And See, they, they recognize that, that waiting on God for breakthrough doesn't suddenly mean we just become passive. It doesn't even mean we just pray, actually. It means we pray, but we sow. <laughs> we sow. We have to keep on sowing. But they, this assurance, this assurance that God will provide for them, this assurance that, that, that God will come through, that God will break through, actually encourages them to take responsibility for the part they have to play. Encourages them to to sow seed. See, I'm not a farmer, although I might sound like it sometimes, being from Norfolk. But even though I'm not a farmer, I know that that a harvest is not going to come without sowing seed first. Someone, somewhere, whether it is us or not, there has to have been seed sown for a harvest to come. And see, whether they then foresee sudden breakthrough, like the streams of Negev or or not, the Hebrews know that they need to keep sowing seed and trust God with the outcome in his timing. And the reality is, in his timing, they shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing sheaves with them. Uh, I want us to understand this. This is not just kind of wishful thinking. This is an assurance that God is who he says he is and he's true to his word. He's true to his word. They, they must have known Numbers twenty-three, nineteen. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it they know that God is who he says he is but unless you're a farmer here which Daniel you might be I'm not sure um, unless you're a farmer here I doubt many of us are um, we don't literally have to sow seed. We're not counting on sowing seed in the ground for our survival. It's not kind of what we live in, southeast London. Um, but what does sowing look like then for us? What does it look like for us to sow seed? What does it look like for us to trust God with the outcome of what we have? What does it look like for us to, to, to be bearing seed for sowing? It's like it's talking about going out and sowing seed. This actually came through in our worship. What, what do you have in your hands? What do you have in your hands? They had seed, literally. What, what do you have in your hands? don't mean literally right now. Phone. <laughs> but what do you have in your hands? It's like, what has God gifted you with and how are you stewarding it? What has God gifted you with? Your family. God's gifted you your family. They're not your right. <laughs> We, don't, we have no right to a family. We haven't deserved a family. We haven't earned it. But God's gifted you of your family. How, how are you doing in, in, in being uh, the father, the mother, or son or daughter, whatever it might be? Your gifts, your, your talents, your passions. God's given you these, put these in your hands. You're, you're gifted in the way that you are. You're talented in the way you are. You're passionate about what you're passionate about for a reason because God's put them in you. It's like these are the things in my hands. Will I sow them? Will I in a sense use them? Will I give them over back to God? How we use our time or how we serve your areas of influence. Who are the, the people in your life that in your spheres of influence that you have influence over that are you, are you sowing with them? Are you sowing right? Your money, an obvious one, I guess. We literally have that in our hands sometimes. Your work, your employment. See, these are all gifts from God. Not that we've earned or deserved any of them, but but by grace, God's grace, He's given them to, him, to us to sow. And we heard it earlier for our worship team. God says, "What have you in your hands? Well, give it to me, and I will multiply it." It's like, whoa! If I give you this, if I trust this for you in you, you will multiply it, and it shall come back to us with joy uh, in the joy of reaping we will reap it back in joy as we wait for breakthrough yes we pray but we also must keep sowing with what we have and God will multiply it why does this psalm speak of sowing in tears and weeping kind of said we we go out with tears we we sow with tears we go out weeping Uh, John Piper talks about this psalm and he says, I think the reason is not that sowing is sad or that sowing is hard. I think the reason has nothing to do with sowing. Sowing is simply the work that has to be done even when there are things in life that make us cry. The crops won't wait while we finish our grief or solve all our problems. If we're going to eat next winter, we must get out in the field and sow the seed whether we are crying or not. This psalm teaches this truth that there is work to be done whether I'm emotionally up for it or not, and it's good for me to do it. In other words, life is sometimes hard. There's sometimes seasons of tears and weeping. It might be the season you're in your life right now. There might be crying going on, a lot of crying. There might be a lot of emotion. There might be a lot of sadness. And that's a reality, and I'm not saying don't acknowledge that. Definitely acknowledge that. Look to God in it. Look to others around you in it. That's why community is so important, that we have others around us to, to encourage us, to to help us move on, to, to help us look to God, to, 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 to cry with, mourn with those who mourn, dance with those who dance. But the promise is that those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Pain won't last forever. Present sorrows is not the end. It's just a means to end. In fact, and this hit me hard actually, if we were never captives, we would never know the joy of being set free. It's like, wow. If we were never broken, (laughs) which all of us are in some way or another, we would never know the joy of being restored. See, Jesus sowed in great pain and tears on the cross. And he did this for the joy that was set before him. Came through in our worship time again. Hebrews 12, too, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus' sorrow turned to joy as he laid down his life. Why? Because of his desire for the glory of his father, but also for the delight of his people. He went to the cross with joyful expectation that this would open the door for God's people to be fully restored. That the sting of sin and death is defeated forever. And the people of God would have a home with God to go to forever. A home, a home where there would one day be no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more crying. Pure, unadulterated joy in the presence of God.